Hey everyone. If I were the manager of a haunted hotel, I can't tell you how quickly and easily I'd monetize that bad boy. Reality shows, annoying YouTube vloggers. I'd hire a college student social media manager to tweet cringy jokes every time someone dies. Today's book is The Shining by Stephen King, about a huge missed business opportunity. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and we've gone on a ton of road trips, so I can totally relate to going crazy in a hotel with my family. <laughs> and I'm David Vance. My biggest lesson from this book is if you get a job offer, first ask if the last person went insane and killed his whole family. The Shining follows an alcoholic father who's not sure whether he'll be destroyed by liquor or ghosts, but either way, it's going to be spirits. <laughs> and this is the book pile. All right, and if you have any questions or comments or a book recommendation, email us at thebookpilepodcast at gmail.biz. <laughs> gmail.com. I, I, I throw that out every once in a while when I'm giving out my email, because I'll say uh, my email at gmail, and then half the time people have to end it with .com. <laughs> And it's like, no, dot edu, have you? I'm going to Google college. (laughs) It's like that story, it may be apocryphal, about how Mozart's mom, to get him out of bed, would play a chord progression, but then leave it unresolved, so he had to come and finish it. (laughs) Finally, our next book is Decisive by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. All right, and without further ado, here are four lessons that we took from The Shining. All right, lesson one. Beware of giving a warning that's too specific. There's this hotel chef who knows the hotel is haunted, and he tells five-year-old Danny, promise me you won't go in room 217. So of course Danny's like, ooh, what's in room 217? (laughs) And what are the odds he would have ever gone in room 217 otherwise? (laughs) It's such an elephant graveyard situation. (laughs) My dad always told us about this study where I think they warned people you can get burned if you turn up your hot water heater. And so people would say, you can turn up your hot water heater, and then they would do it and get burned. (laughs) That's why I'm going to tell my kids, please don't experience the unbelievable high of cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) The hot water heater thing just defies logic to me. I worked around uh, boilers, speaking of The Shining, and hot water heaters for about a decade before I was able to go full-time into comedy and then lose all of my income for a year during COVID. And (laughs) Yeah, people didn't stop using boilers during the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) This is for everyone listening. There's no reason that when you turn on the hot water that it should ever burn your hands. Like there's no, if you need hot water, like super hot water, get a tea kettle, but go turn your water heater temperature down to 130 degrees. There's no reason for it to be at 175. What are you trying to burn off your fingerprints to rob a bank? Isn't it crazy, though? Isn't it crazy? Like, every time you turn on the shower, right, you point the shower head to the wall, you turn it all the way to hot, and then when it's done doing that, you pull it back. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, don't, we don't do that with anything else. All right, kids, buckle up. we got to go on the freeway. I'm going to push this to 127 miles an hour just so the car can run. Then I'll pull it back to 65. 
Yeah, turning it all the way hot and then cooling it down. It's like you're clickbaiting your water heater. <laughs> you're making something a really big deal and then you're saying, okay, but here's the real thing. <laughs> For those of you who are arguing with me right now who are like, but I need super hot water to clean my dishes. First of all, what are you eating? Yeah. And second of all, <laughs> don't you know... That the easiest way to scrub stuff that's cooked hard on a dish is to soak it with soapy water and leave it there for a couple days so that someone else will clean it. <laughs> All right, lesson two. Scare me during the day. This is how I say good morning to my children. I just think if you can scare me during daylight hours, you're good at scaring people. <laughs> it's like when people come to my shows and beforehand they're like, oh, I'd better drink so you're funnier. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. No, if I can make you laugh when you're sober, I'm probably better at my job. Also, I don't know where this comes from, but... I've done thousands of shows, and I can tell you, without exception, when people drink a lot, they're not laughing really hard at everything I say. <laughs> Most of the time, they're either not understanding my jokes or they're ordering more <laughs> drinks. So there are, there are scare scenes in the story that take place in broad daylight, like the animal-shaped hedges that come toward you the moment you take your eyes off of them. Mm. You know, and they stop moving when you look back, like if plants were from Toy Story. <laughs> I just think that this is a real feat to be able to invoke supernatural suspense without having to have something lurk in the shadows. Yeah, And to me, King is able to create more of these scenes by not having just paranormal characters be scary. But having, you know, one of the human characters as well. There's this growing sense of unease at all hours of the day because along with these bath time ghosts, the human dad becomes increasingly unstable. Like as much criticism as the movie gets from hardcore King fans, Jack Nicholson was perfectly cast for this. Oh, I haven't I haven't seen it. But you have seen Jack Nicholson, right? Yes. And if <laughs> He's always haunting Lakers games. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lesson three. The best stories aren't about things, they're about people. It feels like I see a lot of bad horror stories with the premise, hey, what if there were a scary ghost? <laughs> but <laughs> this story is like, what if your alcoholism had lost you your job and self-respect and possibly the love of your wife, and then there's a scary ghost? <laughs> <laughs> this book is so psychological that before it gets to the serious ghost scares, it spends chapters establishing Jack is an alcoholic with a temper, and Wendy is afraid she'll become loveless like her mom, mm -hmm. and Danny's worried they'll get divorced. And only after all that is it like, I think that rabbit-shaped hedge bit me. <laughs> <laughs> I've realized trying to be a better writer that if my story feels random or disjointed, it's usually because I'm focusing on things instead of focusing on people. Mm -hmm. All right. Lesson four, give me a good reason to open that door. So just think of how many times you've seen that scary movie where people end up in a strange house, something weird happens, and then someone's like, okay, that was creepy. 
let's just sleep here in separate rooms and we'll leave in the morning. <laughs> Dovetailing on, on your previous comments, Dave, I, this book is a slow build of realistic motivations, right? They move into this massive old hotel be, to be caretakers during the off-season because Jack can't teach anymore because he hurt a student. When weird things start happening, it's Danny, their five-year-old, who first experiences it, and who believes a little boy, right? I have an aunt and uncle who didn't believe their nine-year-old that his stomach hurt, and it turns out that he had appendicitis for two days before they took him to the hospital. Two days? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard because you're like, you can't also pretend that every time your kid hurts that they're not crying wolf, because sometimes children just like the taste of medicine. It's like, <laughs> it really is a real issue. Uh, I wish that they sold polygraphs that fit on children. <laughs> Was it a sizing issue? Is that the problem? <laughs> <laughs> then even when the parents realize something isn't right with this place, and like Wendy wants to leave because Jack is becoming increasingly erratic. They can't escape because they're snowed in. Well, there's even a part where they have the chance to escape and Jack realizes, oh, if I leave this hotel where there's no liquor, I'm going to become an alcoholic again. And so it's this idea of how do you escape danger when the greatest danger is yourself? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He's also afraid that if he leaves this, he's like, what am I then going to work at a gas station? <laughs> and then I will become a famous writer. Like, he still has this delusion, even though he continues to not write. <laughs> so the motivations for staying there, they just make sense because it's not as easy as most horror movies where they could just walk away and try and find a town. Yeah. Uh, but it's also because then within the hotel, when these scary things are happening, Stephen King creates this world in a way where it's horrifying, but you're also like darkly curious as to what is going on. So usually in scary movies, you're like, don't go in there or don't go down those stairs. But somehow with this story, he's made us just as curious to know what's in that room that we want mm -hmm. the little boy to go in so that we can see what's in there too. <laughs> <laughs> when Danny is standing outside of the famous room 217, he thinks nothing in the hotel can hurt him. And if he had to go into that room to prove it, he should do it, shouldn't he? And I'm reading it going, yes, just go in. But the most frightening scene for me in the book is when Danny goes into the room and there's a dead woman in the bath who stumbles after him. Mm -hmm. He races to the door of the room, which is now locked. So then he closes his eyes and remembers what his psychic friend Halloran told him, quote, nothing in the hotel can hurt you. They're just like scary pictures in a book. But then Danny opens his eyes and the ghost woman is there and she chokes him. Oh, God. It's so terrifying because that's like that moment in dreams where the thing chasing you is finally there. So you just close your eyes and you hope when you open them, you wake up. But imagine you do that and you open them and now the monster is an inch from your face and now it's <laughs> licking you like Jabba the Hutt. Did that happen to you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just making up stories <laughs> I don't suffer from sleep paralysis 
Um, I do. But also the exact <laughs> words from Holloran to Danny were, quote, I don't think anything in the hotel can hurt you. And that's a great way to talk to kids, you know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, buddy, there's a good chance there's nothing under your bed. Good night. <laughs> I see what you're saying, but also I would say that if there might be something under the bed. <laughs> I would rather lie to a child so they are temporarily not scared. <laughs> so my <laughs> my takeaway with all of this is that taking the time to create realistic motivations makes it that much more believable than a bunch of teens whose car breaks down on the way to the party, so they stop by a cabin and explore the basement. <laughs> <laughs> all right, random facts. One of the big moments in the story is that Jack, the dad, got drunk, and in a fit of rage, he accidentally broke his little boy's arm, and it's a very chilling story moment. But also in my family, we genuinely have a diagram that shows who has broken whose bones. Oh, no. And also who has peed on whom. Oh, God. I've accidentally broken Josh's bone twice. Josh as a baby probably broke Ben's bone as a smaller baby. Ben has peed on James twice. Cassie accidentally broke Josh's bone. My mom accidentally broke Josh's bone. I've peed on Josh. Paul broke the neighbor kid's arm. And my dad accidentally dropped me out of a stroller and I broke my skull. <laughs> oh my word. What? <laughs> so I hear that part of the story and I'm like, oh, this will definitely happen again. <laughs> and also none of ours were out of anger. They were all just stupid. <laughs> I want to know, in a family of 10 kids, why most of these things happened to Josh. <laughs> I've wondered that, too. He's on the list five times for bones and once for pee. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the one starting med school right now. <laughs> Is it for self-care during family reunions? <laughs> So I have to know what's like what's an example of one of the times where you accidentally broke his bones because it sounds like you did it two or three times. The bones where we would just play dumb games as kids like we used to play this game where I would lie on my back and the other kids would try to jump over me and I would try to kick them out of the air. Oh and shockingly <laughs> Josh fell wrong and broke a bone. Well, that <laughs> you said all of these were accidents. That just sounds like you winning the game. <laughs> yeah, he didn't jump again. <laughs> and then the peeing was I used to sleepwalk and pee on things. Oh, my word. But it usually only happened if I slept in unfamiliar environments. So, sleepovers and campouts, the worst places for that to happen. <laughs> I bet the time that you accidentally were being on Josh, he was like, ah, oh, just break my arm again. <laughs> Anything but this. So Dave, I want to know, if not right away, how long did it take you to figure out that Red Rum was just murder spelled backwards? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't remember not knowing that. I think someone told me that as like a little kid. Oh, okay. So like going into the book, you knew. Yeah. So I, f I figured it out pretty quickly when I was first reading. And it's not to like pat myself on the back, because I, I do think it was a really clever move in the book, uh, since the dad is an alcoholic, and he becomes he's becoming more and more dangerous, and red is like blood. Mm -hmm. Also, they totally give it away. There's a copy of this book cover <laughs> where it says Red Rum on it. But the capital R in the middle of the word is backwards, like in Toys R Us. <laughs> 
There's a giraffe holding a butcher knife. (laughs) You know, Robert Langdon would look at that backwards word and be like, this is incomprehensible. (laughs) In On Writing, Stephen King talked about how writing is telepathy. The writer can think or feel something and put words on the page and make you feel the same thing. It sounds so magical till you read this book and realize what Stephen King wants you to feel is helpless dread. So one of my biggest regrets was uh, I wasn't able to accept an offer to do a show at the Overlook Hotel, which is actually the Timberline Lodge in uh, Mount Hood, Oregon. That's where they shot the exterior. But this year, I actually did stay at the Awani Hotel in Yosemite, uh, which is what they use to exactly model the inside, all the interior shots. For wow. They did that on a soundstage uh, in England. Now, Kellen did immediately kill his family. <laughs> But it, it is crazy because I mean it is it is eerily similar. And I went back and looked at the the podcast that I was preparing while we stayed in that hotel because I wanted to make a joke about oh, and if you were wondering why our Freakonomics episode was extra scary, it's because but then I saw that the episode I was prepping for was Skeleton Crew by Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Because I don't believe in, like, that coincidences like that mean anything. (laughs) But then we came home and our house was full of dead crows, so I don't know. (laughs) But if you ever do get a chance, uh, the Ohwani Hotel in Yosemite is beautiful and it's right in the park. But it's also funny because if you've seen The Shining, when you walk in, the hotel immediately, instead of being beautiful, just gives you these creepy chills. <laughs> Even though it should, it's just this gorgeous hotel. The in- interior is inspired by like Native American uh, paintings and rugs and tapestries. <laughs> but instead, you're just like, I hope I'm not on the second floor. <laughs> I never realized you could ruin things like that. <laughs> like, what if you set an iconic slasher film at the Taj Mahal? <laughs> <laughs> the Louvre Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> well, I, I think Steven Spielberg did that to millions of people. After Jaws, people didn't want to go to the beach. <laughs> So I like to read this book like it's the prequel that no one asked for, The Origin Story of Argus Filch. (laughs) Doesn't that make you understand Filch so much more, though, with the context Uh of this book? He must get so freaked out by Moaning Myrtle. (laughs) Right. He's always trying to get the ghosts expelled. (laughs) He wants to hurt kids constantly. (laughs) It is the funniest, meanest thing in Harry Potter that they have a huge castle to clean and they hire the guy who can't do magic. (laughs) (laughs) The worst part for him is when he sees Fred and George down the hall and they say, come play with us. When Filch is riding his big wheel through Hogwarts. 
Because <laughs> he can't use a broom. <laughs> Stephen King spends all his time trying to get you to develop sympathy and empathy for this poor little kid who's haunted by ghosts. And he does a really good job till he tells you the kid is a Patriots fan. <laughs> And then everyone's like, yeah, okay, haunt this kid. I hope everywhere he sees the ghost of Eli Manning. Speaking of Danny, listen to this. This is how all five-year-olds talk, right? At one point, he's telling his mom of all the scary stuff that's going on. He goes, these things in the hotel, there's all kinds of them. The hotel is stuffed with them. I can hear them sometimes late at night. They're like the wind, all sighing together. Mm. It's like, yeah, I can't tell you how many times my toddler has been like, Father, I am scared. (laughs) (laughs) The closet is gaping like the spine-chilling jaws of some (laughs) dark demon. (laughs) And again, to King's credit, I like that he decided to live in Colorado for a year because his first two books... Carrie and Salem's Lot, they both took place in Maine, where he had been living for years. And he wanted to live in a place long enough so that he could realistically write about it and its surroundings, which I I admire that, that instead of just staying in Maine and going, so then... These characters lived in tropical Florida, and there were palm trees everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. What was the process where he's like, my last books were in a predominantly white, mountainous, cold state. (laughs) Maybe this time. (laughs) So years ago, uh, I did a couple of shows in a little town called Placerville, uh, which is up in Northern California. It's in the heart of like where gold was discovered. And they have a hotel there that's been there since 1857. Uh, wow. And it's called the Carey House. And apparently it's one of the most haunted hotels in America. That's what the guy told me who offered me the gig. <laughs> I would say that too, if I didn't want to spring for maintenance. <laughs> It's just, it's a good thing I don't believe in ghosts, because what a crazy pitch to give someone. (laughs) You want to drive 400 miles to perform in a haunted hotel? Not just a haunted, one of the most haunted. (laughs) But we didn't see any ghosts or anything, because ghosts aren't real. But the scariest part of the whole experience was that when we were checking in, okay, second scariest thing, because first of all, they gave us a real key. (laughs) And any hotel that still has real keys, I'm like, you know that I could go duplicate this at Home Depot in four minutes, right? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) If the hotel has a real key somewhere, so does a murderer. (laughs) (laughs) The last thing the hotel desk guy said was, hey, to get to your room, you can use the stairs. Or we have the oldest elevator west of the Mississippi. (laughs) (laughs) like that's something to be proud of and it was one of those creepy ones with like that accordion rusty (laughs) iron that's in every thriller when someone is trying to (laughs) it's just crazy to brag about something like that imagine that you're about to go into surgery and your doctor is (laughs) looming over you and he's like 
Oh, this will be fun today. I've got the oldest syringe west of the Mississippi. <laughs> Later, I'm going to give you the oldest flu vaccine in the United <laughs> States. <laughs> Spoiler alert for anyone who's planning on reading or watching either of these. In the book, it adds up to this, like, Jack becomes uh, his most insane to where he's he's almost now like an avatar of the hotel, and Danny's able to basically confront him so that it becomes like Danny versus the hotel. Um, this And there's this climactic moment where he's like, did you forget the boiler? Wendy and Danny and Holleran, they're able to escape, and the hotel explodes, you know, like the Death Star. That's how I imagine it, with that extra ring of fire that George Lucas added in 1998. So that's that's the end of the book, and it, it's satisfying, at least to me, everything that happens. But in the movie, Jack kills Holleran, which is this guy who traveled from the East Coast to help them. He runs into the hotel, and Jack just kills him. So his only purpose becomes... <laughs> sacrificing himself so that these two other people can have a snowmobile. <laughs> and then Jack goes outside and chases his son through the maze, and then he loses his way and dies from hypothermia. Hypothermia, always the most cinematic death. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, you've peed before. You mentioned that earlier in the podcast. Um <laughs> When Danny first sees this woman in the tub, it says, quote, Danny shrieked, but the sound never escaped. Turning inward, it fell down into darkness like a stone in a well. At the same time, his urine broke. I just want to know, <laughs> does this happen? Because for me to pee, I have to relax an incredible amount. Like, it's almost <laughs> impossible sometimes when I'm shoulder to shoulder with dudes in an airport. An airport bathroom, that is. I just, I can't imagine seeing a ghost or worse and then like just becoming super comfortable to let that all out. Is this a real thing that happens? I wonder if it's just the closer you are to having been potty trained, the more easily you can remember what life was like before. <laughs> or maybe it's like that thing, you know how when a deer gets scared, it poops so then it can run faster? <laughs> It's just crazy because in this sense, especially with how long it takes to be, he would have had to have been like, ah, okay, uh, just give me a second. Okay, now. <laughs> All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from The Shining. One, the best stories aren't about things, they're about people. Suck it, Wally. <laughs> Two, <laughs> give me a good reason to open that door. Three, Beware of giving a warning that's too specific. Four, scare me during the day. And five, don't drink. I still think that's better than Harry Potter, uh, who would sleepwalk and then kill people as a snake. <laughs> <laughs>